So now in chapter 12, Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron, began to murmur against Moses. Moses had taken an Ethiopian wife, which means that she was probably black-skinned, and they began to find fault and criticize Moses for this, his own sister and brother. And they said, has the Lord only spoken unto Moses? Has he not spoken also unto us? Verse 2. So don't we have just as much right to speak the word of the Lord to these people as Moses has and all? And the Lord spoke suddenly to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam. And he said, come, the three of you, into the tabernacle of the congregation. And the three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth. And he said, hear now my word. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision, and will speak to him in a dream, verses 4 through 6. Now, in Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, it says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke to the fathers by the prophets. And God spoke to the prophets as a rule by visions or by dreams. But God said concerning Moses, my servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all my house. With him, I will speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in the dark speeches, and not in the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore, then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Verses 7 and 8. Now, here they were speaking against the man that God had anointed, and the man that God had called God's servant. Now, God said, look, with prophets, if a man is a prophet, I usually speak by visions or dreams, in similitudes, in dark sayings, in forms that oftentimes need interpreting. But with Moses, plainly, face to face, apparent direct speaking with Moses, and inasmuch I have spoken to Moses this way, how is it that you are not fearful to speak against him. In other, in other words, they should have respected his position as God's servant and the anointing of God's of God that was upon his life. And one thing about David is that he had a high respect for the anointing of God that had been upon Saul. Even after the anointing, and thus saw the fact that he had once been anointed, David would not touch him. He had a high regard and respect for the anointing of God. And I think that God appreciates our having a high respect for his anointing. And so because of the sin of Miriam and Aaron, they were smitten with leprosy. And Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, Alas, my Lord, I, I ask you, do not lay this sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one of the dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed, when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech you. Verses 10 through 13. 
So his sister became leprous. And Aaron, of course, the high priest, recognized it immediately and pleaded with Moses. And Moses turned and pleaded with God, Oh, God, heal her, I beseech you. And the Lord said to Moses, Under the law, if her father had spit in her face, she'd be unclean for seven days. So should she not, because of what she has done, be unclean for at least seven days? Let her go out of the camp, and in seven days, so she's got to go through the purifying, and then she can come back into the camp. Verse 14. And so Miriam was ostracized from the camp for seven days, and while the period of this ostracizing was taking place, they did not move. They stayed in that same area there at Hazaroth. Now, in chapter 13, we get the story. Now they come to Kadesh Barnea, and they are now on the border, ready to enter into the promised land. They had been about two years, a little over two years now, in the wilderness, and now they've come to the place of entering and in possessing the land that God had promised to them. In coming to the borders of the land, Moses thought it would be wise to send spies into the land in order that they might travel through the land look at the cities, look at the crops, just kind of sort, size up the land, the fortifications of the people and all of that, and then come back and bring the report and bring some fruit from the land. And so they chose from each tribe one man to go in. And so there were 12 spies that entered into the land. And then the first part of the 13th chapter, it lists those that went in. Now, oh, there's only two of them, really, that are important to us. Of the tribe of Judah, in verse 6, Caleb. And then of the tribe of Ephraim, Oshia, in verse 8. Now, at the end of the listing, we are told in verse 16 that Moses called Oshia the son of Nun, Yehoshia, or Yehoshua, verse 16, which was later contracted to Joshua. Oshia means deliverer or salvation, and Yah is the contraction for Yehovah, the name of God. So the name Joshua, Yahshua, is one of the compound names of Yehovah, which means God is salvation. And the Greek word for Joshua is Jesus. So that when Joseph was debating what to do with Mary when she was pregnant, and the angel of the Lord came to him and said, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, or in the Hebrew, Yeshua. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins, Matthew 1, 20 and 21. And the name implies the mission. Jehovah is our salvation. So Yehoshua, later Joshua. So they went in to spy out the land, and they were in the land for 40 days, and they spied out the land. And Joshua and Caleb, on the way back, stopped by the brook 
of Eshkol, and there they cut a bunch of grapes that they carried in a staff between them. And the grapes were so large that they just had to put a stick on their shoulders and tied the grapes in the middle to show the people the huge bunches of grapes and how big were the bunches of grapes in the land. And so they came back to the camp of Israel and Joshua and Caleb gave the report. And they said there in verse 26, they brought to the congregation and showed them through the land and told him, we came into the land where you sent us and surely it flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people are strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And we saw there some of the giants, the sons of Anak and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are in the mountains and Canaanites are by the sea in the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it for we are able to overcome it. Verses 26 and 30. Ha ha, man, this guy, Caleb, man, he says, let's go for it. We can do it. Let's go up and possess it at once. It's a great land. Problems there? Sure. But wow, let's go for it. I like Caleb, man. He run into the battle and into the fire. But the men that went with him said, hey, we're not able to go up against those people for they're stronger than we are. And they brought an evil report to the people telling them, Ah, oh, the cities are huge and the walls are high and there were there were giants there and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Verses 31 through 33. Man, they'll eat us up. In chapter 14, all of the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said, Would to God we had died in the land of Egypt, or would to God we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt, they said, let's get a captain who will lead us back to Egypt. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, they tore their clothes. They spoke to the company of the children of Israel and said, the land which we pass through to search it is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not, but all the congregation of Israel grab stones. Verses 1 through 4 and 6 through 10. And they were going to stone Joshua and Caleb. Now, here is the tragic failure of the people. God had brought them right to the border of entering into this full blessing, the abundant, rich life. It was there. All they had to do was go in and possess it. God had already promised it. I will drive out the inhabitants from before you. 
I will send hornets and all before you and drive out the inhabitants. You just go in and take the land. And God brought them right to the border, right to the entering in of this land of blessing and promise and fullness. And the people at this point failed to enter in because they allowed fear to dominate their hearts instead of faith. And whenever you allow fear to dominate your life instead of faith, the fear begins and brings unbelief, and that unbelief will rob you and keep you from that which God has already made available. And it's just lying there waiting for you to pick it up. And there are so many Christians today who have failed to enter into the full, rich life that God has for them. And they're living in this sort of yo-yo Christian experience. They're high one day and down the next, and you never know what kind of mood, spiritual mood, they're going to be in. And sometimes they're just really floating, and other times they're just dragging by the bottle. And their whole Christian experience is one of great vacillation. They have never entered into the full abundant life of the Spirit that God wants for his children. They live their whole Christian experience in Romans chapter 7, and they never enter into chapter 8. Their life is one continuous battle with the flesh, a constant roaming and wandering in the wilderness, and never entering in to possess that full, rich land that God has promised for them. Now, even as Egypt represents the old life of bondage and sin, and passing through the Red Sea represents the baptism and coming into Christ and into a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and the wilderness represents the normal growth of the believer. So the promised land represents the full, rich life that you can have in Christ now. And unfortunately, some of our hymns have made the promised land a heavenly thing, and they've made Jordan death. And so in our songs, swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. I looked over Jordan and what did I see? A band of angels coming after me, coming forth to carry me home. And Jordan represents, you know, I won't have to cross Jordan alone. And the chilly waters of Jordan and all represent death. And then I enter into the heaven, the glorious promises of God. No, 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 not so. Because once they had crossed over Jordan and had come into the land, they were still battling. You're not going to have any battles in heaven. So once they cross over Jordan and come into the land, they were even defeated a time or two at Ai, and they were defeated by the Gibeonites. Well, you're not going to be defeated in heaven or deceived. Jordan represents the death of the old man the death of our old nature. And it's our reckoning of ourselves to be dead with Christ. And the land of promise is that life that I can now enjoy in the spirit. 
walking in the spirit and walking in the spirit and knowing now, right now, the victories in Jesus Christ. In the wilderness, they had battles. They never gained anything of permanent value. It was not until they began to enter in and possess the land that there was this gaining of things actually now and possessing their possessions. And it's tragic that so many Christians spend their entire Christian experience in the wilderness roaming, wandering in the wilderness. And so the Christian walk is sort of just a continual endurance rather than an enjoyment. And God wants you to experience now the richness and the fullness of his blessing and his love. And it's right there for us to possess. God has provided for you in Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, a life of victory a life of blessings, a life of full. And it is only unbelief that keeps so many people from entering in. So the 10 10 spies inspired fear and the people were dominated by that fear. So that when Joshua and Caleb began and sought to encourage the people with words of faith, the 10 spies said, hey, there are giants there, and we are like grasshoppers in their eyes. And Joshua and Caleb said, hey, they are like bread for us. The 10 spies said, hey, we can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb said, let's do it now. We, were, we are able to do it. But the people, dominated by fear, failed to enter in. Even ready to destroy the two prophets of God, Joshua and Caleb, who were encouraging them. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people provoke me? How long will it be before they believe me? Verse 11, there's the key. It was a lack of faith that kept them from what God had for them. And it's a lack of faith that keeps you from receiving, entering in by faith. You see, our problem is that we think that we've got to enter in by our works. Oh, if I could just be good enough so God could bless me. If I could just be sweet enough and kind enough so that I could be worthy the blessing of God upon my life. And it was that lack of believing and trusting God that kept them out. It wasn't a thing of worthiness at all because we're not worthy. It was just the lack of faith. And that's what keeps us back. The lack of faith, nothing more. And so God said to Moses, stand back. I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses interceded for the people. And in verse 17, he said, I beseech you, Let the power of my Lord be great, according as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation. 
pardon, I ask you, the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of your mercy, as you have forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. Verse 17 through 19. Lord, you've, you've gone this far with them. Let's go all the way, all the way from Egypt. You've forgiven them, and talking of the long-suffering and the great mercy and the great forgiveness of God. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Verse 20. God wanted to pardon them, and he answered the prayer of Moses. And then, I love this verse. But as surely as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Verse 21. Hey, that God is declaring just as sure as he lives, that's going to happen. As surely as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. I can hardly wait. What a glorious day this is going to be. And God has declared it with an oath. As surely as I live, says the Lord, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. I want to be here when that happens. And I expect to be here when that happens. And I'm going to be here when that happens. I have God's promise. Oh, how glorious is that anticipation of the whole world being filled with the glory of the Lord. All right, let's go for it, God. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, they have tempted me now these 10 times and have not listened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, neither them that provoke me shall see it. But only Caleb, because another spirit was in him and has followed me fully, I'll bring him, Caleb, into the land wherein we went, and his seed shall possess it. Now turn, get away back into the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And God said, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation, which murmur against me? I've heard their murmuring of the children of Israel, and they murmur against me. As truly as I live, says the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Verses 22 through 28. Now, they said, hey, it was God that brought us here, you know, to kill our little ones and all, and and, our car and let our carcasses lie in the wilderness. And God said, all right, you said it. Your carcasses will lie in the wilderness. But your children that you said, oh, God, brought them here to be a prey and all. Those children will be the ones that will go in and possess the land. And only Joshua and Caleb of the people will be able to go in because they brought back an encouraging report. So the people repented and they said, oh, we're sorry, we've sinned. Let us go up and take the land. And Moses said, don't do it. In that hill, there are some of the Canaanites and the Amalekites and the spirit of the Lord isn't with you. Don't try it. But these people are just headstrong and they went up anyhow and the Canaanites and the Amalekites came out and began to wipe them out. It's tragic. Hmm. 
Father, let our hearts not be fearful. Lord, let our lives not be driven by the fear and the cares of this world. But Father, let our faith be emboldened. Let our faith be built up, Lord, by you, by reading your word, by knowing your word, Lord, by learning from the Israelites of how we are supposed to live, by learning from how not to live like the Israelites, Lord, but to live by faith in your word. Lord, let our hearts learn from you and let our hearts grow in faith in you so that we can go possess the land that you want us to possess. Father, you have given us the promised land. You have given us the peace. You've given us your mercy. You've given us your forgiveness, Lord. All done on the cross through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask for this peace, Lord, in our lives so that we can be salt and light to this world. We pray this in your glorious Son's name, Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen.